Welcome to the We Are Zion Sermon Podcast. We continue our series on Rebuild. It's funny how we get to choose our friends, but not our family. In the midst of the broken world that we live in, it's important for us to cherish and seek God's will for our families. Christine Geshom shares with us today on how God desires to rebuild our homes. Hi Church, I'm so excited to be bringing God's word to each of you today. As you know, we've been doing the Rebuild series and this whole year is going to be about God rebuilding us. And um, as we've been looking at different parts of how God is rebuilding us, we first looked at how God is rebuilding our foundations. We looked at how he's rebuilding our altars of worship. We looked at how he's rebuilding our boundaries. We looked at how he's rebuilding our fields. And today we're looking at how God is rebuilding our homes. I personally am extremely passionate about this. So it just felt fitting that I should uh, teach on this today. What is God talking about when he wants to rebuild our homes? Is it our physical houses? Is he going to give us a new house? I don't think so. This is bigger than that. When we speak of homes, we're talking about the families that God has put us into within the four square walls where we are placed right now, the people we find ourselves locked in with for the, for over a year now, that is your home. And that's who God wants to rebuild at this time. So even as we get into this time, I just want to ask you that you will lay down all your preconceived notions about your family. Um, the, the, the funny thing is that we get to choose our friends, but we do not get to choose our family. This is who we are born into. This is who we are brought up with. We have no options. And so therefore, God has a great purpose over each of our families. Maybe you're like me, that when you look around at your family, you're content with what you have. Or maybe when you look at your family, you think, you know, this is not what I signed up for. Or maybe you think, I thought it would look different. I thought I would have the child that I long for. Maybe I would have had that spouse longer. Maybe my children would have stayed with me. I don't know what your expectations of your family were and which were not met. I want to encourage you that the entire Bible, it's so raw in that every family that is mentioned had its brokenness. There was incest. There was um, extramarital affairs. There was uh, there was disunity, there was backbiting, there was favoritism, there was sibling rivalry. Humanity at its most broken. That's what the Bible displays. Families were dysfunctional. Families were blended. Families had their struggles. And yet, in the midst of all of this, God redeemed people from these families. God used them for his purposes. And so today I want to begin with this. I want us to look at this passage and believe this for each of us. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. That is the promise I want you to begin today with that every family on earth will be blessed through you. But you may ask, I'm not Abraham's child. Well, let me read Galatians chapter 3, verses 29. This is what it says. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. I hope that confirms that to you, that you in Christ Jesus are an heir of Abraham. You are You have access to the promise that God kept gave him. And therefore, your family and many other families through you will be blessed. Don't give up. 
maybe your image of your family is marred. Maybe when you look at it, it looks like just pieces of 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 broken glass. But I want to encourage you. Look at the stories in the Bible. Look at the the people in the Bible, the prophets, those who were called, those who were set apart for great things. Their lives were far from easy. Their families were far from perfect. And so today, if you're seated there, a single parent, or maybe you're someone who's lost a spouse, you're grieving. Maybe your grown-up children are not in touch with you. Whatever your family looks like today, it's still your family, and God still wants to rebuild things in the fragments that you hold in your hands. Don't give up. God is in the business of rebuilding, of restoring. And so today, we want to look closer at what God wants to do in our lives, in our homes, in our families. And I believe that when God wants to rebuild us, there are certain things He expects of us. And the first thing I want us to look at is that God expects us for us to obey Him together as a family. It's it's um, as we become Christians, as we walk in the knowledge of God, we start to learn to read the Word and do what it says. But how often do we actually incorporate that into our family's life? Do we obey God as a family? I want us to look at Genesis chapter eighteen. Verses 19, I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. What is the context of this verse? God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and he's having a conversation with himself. Should I tell Abraham what I'm going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Because I've got great plans for him. Should I load him up with this? And so this is what God speaks out. As to the mission for Abraham's life, he says, I want him to direct his sons and families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. I want to ask you, how often are we intentional with the families God has given us? Do we direct our families to obey God? Do we direct our children to do what is right, to do what is just? It's a time when we need to teach our children to speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. It's a time for our children to know that if they're not clothed with the righteousness of Christ, nothing else is going to work. They need Jesus. Are we leading our families into obedience? This past week, my children and I decided to make burger buns. And so um, one of our friends gave us this recipe. It seemed easy enough, um, but I have a fundamental problem. I don't know how to look at instructions and do what the instruction says. Um, don't judge me, but that's I have a serious problem. So we we started off really well, got all the batter going, we mixed everything. By the end of it, it was a disaster. There was no burger bun on the horizon. And when I was talking to my children about it afterwards, they had a good laugh at my expense. But it was a great teachable moment because I told them that my fundamental problem is I'm not able to follow the instructions to a T. If it says two and a half cups, I just, you know, add a little bit extra because, you know, for good measure. That's not how you can bake. You need to follow the instructions. And it was a great moment of teaching them the importance of obedience. So often we, like the Israelites, you know, we don't do what God has commanded us to do. The Israelites were given a simple command. For example, they were told, I will give you manna in the wilderness. It's going to come down every morning with the dew. You just have to go out, collect what you need. Don't store it overnight. Use it for that day. And then on the Sabbath, there will be extra given the previous day so you don't have to go out and collect it. But a bunch of characters like probably me and my children, they would go out on the Sabbath day looking for manna, even though it was told nothing would be there. And then there were a bunch who kept the manna overnight 
till it got worms in it and got spoiled. Simple things that were asked of them, they couldn't do. Today, what is God asking us? Simple things. Maybe God has impressed on your heart to do something specifically as a family. Have you been obeying God? It's a great reminder for us as we raise our family, as we move as a family forward to really think about this. My husband and I prioritize teaching the kids a scripture and then following it through, obeying it. More is caught than taught. And so they watch us. Are we, are mom and dad obeying the word of God? Are they doing what they preach about? And so today I want to urge you, we cannot expect the next generation to obey if they're not seen us obey. It's time that we rise up as a family and we obey God together. That's very important. And why is obedience so important? Obedience is a mark of your love for God. If you don't love God, you won't obey him. But when you love him, you love his precepts. Like the psalmist says in Psalm 119 verses 44 to 47, this is what he says, I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom for I sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame for I delight in your commands because I love them. The psalmist says that because of your commands, I walk in freedom. Today we think that to follow Christ means it's stifling, means that we're restricted. But the truth is when we walk in accordance with the word of God, there is so much freedom that we experience. There's so much of, of safety we experience. And so I want to ask you, as a family, will you obey God? As a, fa a family, will you say, Lord, we love your word and we want to do what it says. The Holy Spirit is with you to empower you, to help you actually follow the word of God. No longer do we uh, exist under a system of rules, but now in Jesus, we have the freedom to walk as we will with the Holy Spirit's empowering. So that's the first thing. In order for God to rebuild our homes, we must take the step of obeying him. And the beauty about it is you look at Abraham, his whole life was marked by obedience. Was his family perfect? No, by no means. There was, there was, they were far from perfection. Yet, little Isaac saw his father systematically obey God. Ishmael saw his father obeying God, doing what God asked him to do. I'm sure that impacted those boys. And it, it for sure impacted the generations that followed. So remember this, obedience precedes our blessing. Without obedience, we cannot expect God to pour out the blessings of heaven and earth. We can claim it all we want, but if we don't do our bit of obeying him, obeying his word, we will miss out on the great things he wants to do for us, the amazing things that he wants to bless us with. Obedience precedes blessing. That's the first thing. God wants to rebuild us if we would obey him. The second thing, the second thing that I believe God wants to impress on our hearts today is that he can rebuild our homes if we serve each other. And I, as I was working on this point, I, as I was studying the word, I had first written out that we must serve together. But the Holy Spirit was so convicting and saying this, you don't need to serve together, you need to serve each other. Let me read Isaiah 58 verses 6 to 12 from the message version. This is what it says. This is the kind of fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. 
Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and he'll say, here I am. What a powerful chapter. That whole chapter is about God asking his people to do a little bit more. They were doing the bare minimums. They were fasting and saying, where's God? And he says, this is what you need to do. You need to speak up for the oppressed. You need to stand in the gap for people. You need to, you need to clothe the, the one who is naked. You need to feed the hungry. And then he adds in this tidbit. He says, you need to be there for your flesh and blood, your family. How important it is that before we serve anyone outside the home, we need to serve each other. Mother Teresa said this very interesting thing. Do you want to change the world? Go home and love your family first. So it's very important that each of us before we think of what, God, what is your purpose for my life? Should I go and, you know, go and feed the hungry or do this big thing? I believe it starts right at home. If you're a spouse, care for your spouse, love your spouse. If you're a parent, go the extra mile for your child. If you're a child, do more for your parents. Whatever your role is, it asks, it demands as believers of Jesus that we serve each other first. I want us to look at what Jesus said uh, to emphasize this, Mark 7 verses 9 to 12. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. What a powerful exhortation Jesus is giving here. He's saying, hey, listen, you're so hung up on your traditions and your rituals and in serving God and in honoring God that the people in front of you, your aged needy parents, you don't do anything for. He says, choose wisely, do what is right. That's what the call on our lives today is, to serve each other within the home. And what does this serving look like? In case you're asking me, what does that look like? Should I like serve them breakfast in bed? Or No, it doesn't have to be so specific. This is what it looks like. Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 to 15. It says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. I don't know about you, but um, I kind of failed in the first verse itself. It says, he wants you to clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Gone. I don't make it past the first two adjectives. But here, this is what God is asking us to be with each other. We are created to be re relational. And therefore, in these relationships, how do we actually function? Are these relationships easy? No. In fact, family relationships are sometimes the toughest because we see each other at our worst. And yet God is asking that we will clothe ourselves with love. We will consistently forgive each other. That we will really allow the peace of Christ to rule our hearts. And I like that he ends it on this note of saying, always be thankful. Even when you're so upset with your spouse, even when your children are driving you nuts, he says, be thankful. Of course, this is not written in context to the family, but it precedes the passage that Paul writes 
on different roles in the household. He writes to the husbands, he writes to the wives, he writes to the children, he writes to masters and slaves. And so it, it comes as a whole chunk, this whole passage. And so it relates to the household. It relates to relationships. And today we're going to take that into our homes. Can we really serve each other by being peaceable with one another? Can we overlook one another's faults? One of the toughest things, because we'd rather shine a spotlight on our spouse or our children's faults. But what if, what if we don't do that? What if we forgive? What if we keep on clothing ourselves with loving kindness? What would our lives look like? That is what serving each other looks like. And I, I love that Paul doesn't leave it there. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, in two different occasions, he addresses families. And this is what he says, 1 Timothy 5, 8. Those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. That's a wake-up call. It's a rude shock. That if we don't care for our family, we're worse than unbelievers. And he's talking about your own household. Those who you live with. 1 Timothy 5 verses 2 to 4, he says this, Treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. Nothing is left to chance here. Paul covers all bases. And it boils down to this, that when we look at our older women in the church, look at our younger women, he's asking Timothy, how do you treat your mother? How would you treat your sister? He expects that you, he would treat his mother and sister with the greatest of dignity and respect. And he says, show them the same kind of love. That's how important serving each other within our households are. I've seen firsthand, we've had a lot of friends who've been in ministry over the years, and I've seen firsthand how the next generation does not carry the fire that their parents had because they were at the, the losing end of their relationship in the sense that their parents poured all into serving others, but they never served them at home. There was no act of service within the home. And so this generation was lost. They said, you know what? We don't want this God. We don't want what he can give because we lost out on our parents. We didn't have a great family life. And so it's very important that intentionally those of us who follow Christ, that our first ministry is to those in the house. It doesn't have to do anything with anyone outside. We need to start at home. And once we do that, you know, once there's this air of service at home, God opens up these doors where we can serve outside. And so remember this, if, if anything else you got from this is that Anything we do for God outside the home is pointless if we don't serve each other within the home. That's very important. And the third thing that I believe God wants to tell us about how rebuilding the home requires another important facet, and that is us fighting. That is us fighting for our families. So often we get caught up in fighting each other. We get so caught up in fighting each other within the home. But here God is asking us, will you fight for each other? What do I mean? Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. This is what it says. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. The context of this verse is 
Nehemiah has begun rebuilding the wall and there are a bunch of uh, Jewish families who have started off with them and they're, you know, just going ahead full swing and the wall has started coming up. It's being erected and then they face opposition from all sides. A bunch of Gentiles who lived in that area started causing trouble and as they caused trouble, their intimidation only increased. And it had finally come to this point where they sent words saying, your hands are going to fail. We are going to come and kill you when you least expect it. Imagine that direct opposition, persecution. And so the people were afraid for their lives, for their children's lives. And so what Nehemiah did was he said, don't worry. Remember our God. He was reminding them of who God was, that he was a mighty man of war. That's who God, the God of the Israelites was. And he was saying, remember our God. And fight for your children. Fight for your children. Fight for your wives. Fight for your brothers. That's what he was saying. And what did he do? He just didn't leave it there. They posted a guard night and day. And as they worked through the day, all of those who were working at the wall had weapons strapped to them. And they continued building. So the work went on and they were prepared at all times. And I just, when I was reading that, I was so challenged because that is what is required for each of us. Today, you know, the, the, uh, the, the way the enemy is working is he wants to demolish the concept of family. As fragmented as all our ideas of family are today, he wants to demolish our lives. He wants to steal, kill and destroy. He wants to take away a generation. He wants to draw them astray. He wants to lead them astray. He wants to diminish their potential. He wants to crash their identities into the ground. That is the plan of the enemy. But our God says, hey, I've come to give you abundant life. That's the God we serve. And so we have nothing to be afraid. We are on the winning side. But very often, this victory doesn't come easy. We need to stand in the gap. We need to fight. Sometimes we get so complacent. You know, we have a mighty God. We have a victorious God. He's going to handle everything. And then when troubles beset us, we don't know what's happening. That's because we are engaged in a real battle. We are engaged in warfare. And I want to turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to read it from a different translation because this translation got to me. It it got under my skin and I think it will get under yours. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 11 to 18. It says, put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. Your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Because of this, you must wear all the armor that God provides so you are protected as you confront the slanderer. For you are destined for all things and will rise victorious. Put on truth as a belt to strengthen you to stand in triumph. Put on holiness as the protective armor that covers your heart. Stand on your feet alert. Then you'll always be ready to share the blessings of peace. In every battle, take faith as your wraparound shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. Embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies. And take the mighty razor-sharp spirit sword of the spoken word of God. Pray passionately in the spirit as you constantly intercede with every form of prayer at all times. Pray the blessings of God upon all his believers. If you were wondering till now, how am I going to get into warfare? How am I going to fight this enemy? He seems terrible. True, the, the devil and his minions are 
formidable. They're a formidable foe. But the best part is this. He says, you're destined for great things. You are always victorious in Christ Jesus. That is our assurance. So we're fighting a winning battle. We're not fighting a losing battle. And so because of that, God has given us everything we need. Everything we need. We are lacking nothing in terms of arsenal. Our quiver is full. We have everything we need to face this enemy. And so, just like Nehemiah told his people, you know, you fight and you work. You, the work has to go on. Our lives have to go on. But as we go through this life, we must be prepared to fight. This enemy, 1 Peter writes, in 1 Peter, Peter writes, he's like a roaring lion waiting to devour us. And so the call upon our life is to be alert. We need to be alert. We must be ready. And we must be watchful and praying at all times. Let's not give up. And let's not underestimate the war we are in. Let's not think this is nothing. So every time you're tempted to, to bring the wall down with your spouse, think about it. There's a greater war around you. And engage with that. Don't engage with each other. Engage with the enemy. Tell him, you know what? My marriage belongs to Jesus. If you're struggling with your children, it's not the end. God has not said it's the end yet. You're going to find victory. Every stage of our life, we're going to have battles. But the beauty is that we have the warfare that we need. Will you engage? Because if you don't fight for your family, no one else will. You need to fight. You've got a God who's on your side, who wants to see you succeed, who has great things in store for your family. All you need to do is stand in the gap and fight. I remember as I was reading this, I was reminded of what my mother did for me when I was growing up. So when I was 12, I was diagnosed with um, a difficult ailment and it was a hard season for my parents as they had to navigate uh, what this would look like for me in the future. And so they were really struggling with a lot of doubt, a lot of fear. But I remember at one time, my mom just decided to rise up in faith. She said, you know what, enough. I'm not going to accept this, this report that the doctors are giving because this is an assignment of hell. It's not the assignment of God. And so my mom decided that every day, she told me this, she said, until I see your healing, until I see the breakthrough of God in your life, every day I'm going to declare thousand scriptures over your life. She would have this little book called Thousand Praises. And she would declare these thousand praises every afternoon. You know, she wouldn't sleep. She would kneel beside her bed. She would spend two hours. She would pray over my brother and me. She would pray over my health specifically. Twelve years later, 12 years of every single day doing these thousand praises. She held my first child in her arms. And that was when we knew that the battle had been won, the battle for my health. She had claimed victory 12 years back, but she had to fight. She had to push through. It didn't come easy. It didn't come, it didn't come in a light way. She had to work her way through it. That's what fighting for your family looks like. Will you get on your knees today? Will you stop talking about your problems and start praying about them? Will you start standing in the gap and saying, Lord, I will not give up. Until you say it's over, I'm not going to say it's over, Lord. I'm not going to hand my children over to that addiction. I'm not going to lose my children to abuse. No, I say it stops here. And can you claim the word of God, the spoken word of God, what power it has? Will you fight for your children? That is my desire for each of us, that we will fight for our marriages. We will fight for our children. We'll fight for the generations to come, that we won't give up. That is the desire of God for your life. Remember that every time you choose 
faith over fear. Every time you choose faith over fear, you've won a small battle. Every time you've lifted up your hands in praise in the midst of pain, you have won one battle. Every time you've chosen to believe that there is good in someone, you've won the battle. Every time you've decided to live unoffended, you've won the battle. The battle will go on, but you've already won because of Christ Jesus. Don't give up. Fight for your families. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sisters. Fight for your children. Fight for your parents. Don't give up. No matter what your family looks like today, your family might feel fractured. You might be just holding the, the shards. That's still your family. That's still what God has entrusted to you. Don't expect your family to overnight change into something different. What God has given you, he wants to do great things with that. Will you invest your time? Will you serve each other with everything you have? Will you teach your children? Will you teach each other to obey God with all your hearts? Will you fight for each other? That is God's desire for you. Before you do anything outside, will you begin within your homes? As I pray with you, I want to just remind you that you will be alert and that you will be prayerful at all times. Watchful and prayerful. That will be your battle strategy throughout your lives, that you won't give up. Can I pray with you? And can I encourage you that this is not over yet? Your family has, God's got great plans for your family. He wants to restore and rebuild what the enemy has torn down. Can we just pray? Father in heaven, I thank you for this time. I thank you that, Lord, family was your idea. I thank you for the families you put us into, Lord. No matter how dysfunctional sometimes our families get, no matter how much of pain families have caused, we still believe that, Lord, you have a plan. And I pray that, Jesus, your redemptive power will flow through our families right now, where things have broken relationships in a way that looks permanent, oh, Father, that you will do the impossible. I pray, Lord, where healing has to happen of emotions, Lord, I pray that you will do it. Father, I pray where families have broken up, have separated, that, Lord, in this new season, that, Lord, you will give them the strength they need, that you will give them the courage they need, O oh, Father. I pray that the children who, who are given to us will be cherished and honored and loved, O oh Father, with all our hearts. I pray that, Lord, you will give us the strength to fight, that we will not give up, but that we will fight for our families. We will fight, Lord, for what you've endowed on us. I pray that, Lord, as families, we'll obey your word. Help us to read your word together. Help us to partition time. Help us to seek you with all our hearts. And may we serve each other, O oh Father, with love with compassion, with forgiveness. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us. On our own, we cannot do this. But with you, we can do all things and we thank you. We love you. We glorify your holy name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you're saying, I've seen brokenness close up. My family is broken. I come from a broken home. I am broken. Hey, let me encourage you that every single one of us on earth are broken. And that's why we need a savior. And I want to tell you about the Savior today. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself in the flesh, came down, lived on earth, did good. He did miraculous things. But he came to earth just to die for you and me, to take our place. He suffered on our behalf, took our sins, bore it on himself. And he was, he was killed on a cross. On the third day, he rose again. The story didn't end. There's so much hope in that resurrection because today you and I, have that resurrection power in us. We can live empowered lives if we would only allow Jesus into our hearts. 
So I want to ask you, will you do that? All you have to do is pray this very simple prayer, admitting that you're a sinner, knowing that you need a savior and he's ready to step in. He's ready to hold you in his arms like a loving father. He's ready to give you all the love that you have lacked. He's ready to help you on this journey of life, which has probably seemed so hard until now. Will you pray this simple prayer after me and believe that Jesus is here to save you? Dear Lord, I thank you for your son. I thank you for sending him to earth for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I need you. I need help. I pray that you will come in, take over my life. I pray that you will give me the strength and the power to overcome all that I struggle with. I pray that I will experience you. I will know you and I will learn to love you, Lord. I pray that you will continue to be with me and bless me. Help me to be a blessing to many others, Lord. I love you. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is the greatest decision that you would have ever made. And we don't want you to journey alone. If you have prayed that prayer, can you get in touch with us? We'd love for us to just, we would love to just talk to you. We'd love to encourage you on this journey. We'd love to answer your questions because uh, you don't need to do this journey alone. Uh, your greatest source of knowing more about Jesus is the word of God. So I encourage you to get your hands on the YouVersion Bible app or even just uh, ask a friend. If you know a believer friend, ask them for a Bible. Start reading the word of God and he's going to lead you every step of the way. We would love to help you get in touch with us. The numbers are on the screen. Uh, we'd love to be in touch with you. Uh, have a great week. We pray that as you step into the season of rebuilding, that if it has to begin with you rebuilding your home, you would take that sincere step that as a family, you would seek God. As a family, you will, you will seek his purposes for your lives. And I believe that each of you are going to bless the rest of the world as you are. In that unit that you are, you're going to bless many. And so I, I, I pray that blessing over you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. To hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you are hearing, consider rating us, subscribing, and even sharing it with friends. That would really help us. For more content from We Are Zion and to connect with us, go to wearezion.in. Remember, whoever finds Jesus finds life.